0: Welcome to the latest United pubcast. Hopefully, everyone is keeping well and keeping sane in the middle of this lockdown. Things seem to be getting a little bit better, so hopefully they are wherever you're listening to this. Um, like we have said pretty much since we started this podcast, um, if ever any of our listeners wanted to get in touch and talk about anything regarding you know their favourite player or their favourite game or how they started supporting United, etc., um, feel free to get in touch and we'll have you on the podcast because I think. By the time now we're creeping up to 80 episodes, everyone is quite sick of hearing our thoughts on if Paul Pogba should stay or go. Sometimes it's good to get a um, different type of discussion. So one of our listeners all the way from the USA has got in touch and said just that. He'd come on for a chat to kill some time and get a different opinion out there. So a big welcome to Baylor. How, how are you, mate? I'm doing well. Staying healthy. How's... Um the lockdown situation in, uh, where you're from and whereabouts in USA are you from?
1: Um, uh, Purdue, um, uh, West Lafayette. So about three hours from Chicago, pretty much right in the middle in the Midwest.
0: And how's things and regarding the whole coronavirus slash lockdown? Cause obviously we in Australia, we see America is, um, obviously, well, it's serious everywhere, but quite a serious issue at the moment in America.
1: Yeah, it's also interesting because I actually live in a university town, um, Purdue University, and so they had to have a lot with a lot of international students. Um, we went on lockdown for my work, um, which because I work for the university, uh, probably about a month, a month and a half ago. I think I'm weeks. I think I just completed week six work from home, and then, um, and then yeah, and then they sent up the students about a couple weeks home after that. So. Yeah.
0: Well, hopefully wherever you are listening to this, hopefully things are on the mend and I'm sure, look, it it seems a while away, but we are technically a day closer to United and football returning. don't know when it is, but technically we have to be a day closer, so something to look forward to. So this podcast mainly is just going to be sort of just your story supporting United. Obviously, we face our own challenges in Australia, the way we support United, obviously the same thing in America, so just get your opinions and ideas regarding that and also little things like favorite players growing up trips to old trafford and etc and hopefully it's a good little discussion that people can listen to and enjoy over their sort of their one hour exercise a day that the government allows seemingly so um <laughs> okay first of all baylor sort of why united how how did you sort of start supporting united etc yeah so
1: we actually can thank my college roommate um, back in the day about Seven years ago, eight years ago now, um, who uh, was a Arsenal fan. And then so we started playing um, some FIFA games. And I hadn't heard about United. I could name like Real Madrid. But coverage coverage around where I lived and just my family just wasn't super into it. Like like to give you an example, like for the World Cup, the last the only World Cup I remember before I started falling um, soccer was a Zidane headbutt. And that was all the coverage. Like it wasn't. I mean, the games would be on, but you had to, it wasn't like as high profile or high, high thrown out. And then, yeah, we I watched Wayne Rooney play and then just loved how just aggressive and he just reminded me of kind of that swagger and that arrogance. And then uh, also the spectacular goals um, come to mind and then just started falling in love, read the history, actually went to United's old, um, old website where they had the history broken down by decade. And read all of that and then started to really appreciate it and kind of just got the bug, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think um, similar story for everyone. And sort of everyone has their own sort of story in terms of sort of what drew them to United. But I think once you sort of, as you say, sort of got that bug or whenever someone makes that decision to support United, look, I hope everyone does this, but I think in general most people do or should do is read up on the history. I think even if sort of reading up on history isn't someone's thing. It's almost the done thing. It's needed if you're going to be a Man United fan. I think it's very important. It's I don't think it's so much sort of, as you say, opening up and reading a book about the history, but it is something you go, you do have to go and look back and sort of familiarise yourself with. Um, and I, I think most United fans do. Um, unfortunately, I think there's a few that don't, a few high-profile ones that um, don't exactly know what is, um, the club is built on, but um, it's good to know Yeah, you know, one of your first things is to go back and read up on the club now just on that you mentioned sort of footballers in the world cup zidane rooney etc in rig specific to united in terms of obviously introductions you know what was your first sort of memory of watching man united
1: oh it was definitely like the 2008 2009 so that would have been like my freshman sophomore year and my first real memory even though we had a great campaign it was much more you know i'm starting just to get in and starting to watch it and then luckily united was coming to chicago and that was about about three or four, um, three or four hour drive for me. So we end up getting tickets. Um, they played at soldier field, which, um, is where the Chicago bears play host I think it has like 70,000 capacity and they're playing the Chicago fire, which is the American MLS, um, team. And then, yeah, we went there. I went with my mom, which had to be her first soccer match. Cause I never grew up playing it. Um, even though I probably would have, um, I wish I would have, but that's a topic for a little later but what's what's what yeah, did you play when you went got there out? i remember um they were champions as well so and then just kind of getting to see them live with rio ferdinand and Biditch and all the great heroes but the one thing i remember is about minute 60 is when wayne rooney and ryan giz got subbed on and then you could just see like basically rooney got his first touch and then started running directly at the back line you could just see all the uh defenders of the fire just like instantly fall back and instantly just retreat to their box and he didn't score I think he just passed it out wide but uh but just being like oh this is a different level actually seeing it in person
0: yeah no I think some players have that um almost or especially a player like Wayne Rooney go into and no disrespect to the players in the MLS but when he sort of takes that I'd say the greatest respect, step down players like on the opposition see him as this superstar and a a general fear just comes into their sort of system when he starts to run at you and yeah the first thought is to retreat and almost sort of in awe of the um players like Wayne Rooney Ryan Giggs etc but we'll get into sort of because United often it's quite regular and they go to the USA so we're going to touch on sort of their pre-season trips etc um in a little bit but um would Wayne Rooney or you mentioned there Ryan Giggs as well in terms of everyone sort of when they first touch upon, you know, you have a favorite player or a player you're drawn to. Was it one of those that was your sort of the main man for you or was it someone else? Cause obviously that would have been Ronaldo's last season. So you probably wouldn't have seen, yeah, obviously Ronaldo well, had a good yeah. season.
1: Yeah, it was one, it was one of the end on, but I think it was, it was one of those ones where like, because I read the history all up on the nineties teams and it was much more of appreciation. So like Rooney got me in and then Ronaldo kept me or like got my, Got my heart, so to say, especially just with the way, because that was, he was still playing out wide a lot, but that was when he just kind of started to become not only the captain, turning into that, but the, you know, I guess maestro with a lot of the passes. And he always had the assist level, even on looking back in the 90s and early 2000s. But seeing him, you know, not have the speed that he just destroyed people on on the wing, it was a lot more, it was all more appreciation. And then just watching him just being like, oh, that's, like I could never do that with a uh, even when I'm playing my pickup games. I'm happy. I'm happy to get a ball clear for you know, for almost to the halfway line. I could never even do what he does with the ball.
0: Yeah, no. Um, obviously, <laughs> very special player. What What about now in terms of? That was a very successful period for the club, and obviously we're far from those days at the moment. It was only sort of ten years ago now, but um, in the current setup, um, is a. Is there a player that stands out for you now? Obviously, obviously just the introduction of Bruno Fernandez now, but obviously we have got the likes of Marcus Rashford. Um, everyone sort of, while he might not be the greatest player, um, everyone sort of has fallen in love with Scott McTominay, etc. Is there a player you really look at these days?
1: Yeah, for these days, I've actually been trying to find out what to get on the kit sale, but uh, Rashford, Rashford probably throws in um, kind of going along the lines of the academy and just kind of staying... Yeah. Uh, True to that. Um, And then I do like McTominay a lot. Um, I think he's actually a lot of ways underrated. I know United fans, um, at least the ones uh, we talk to and uh, listen to, are pretty high on him. And I think he'll get better. And he's got the build as well to be a really strong force in the midfield.
0: Yeah, well, I look at, um, just back on Ryan Giggs for a little bit, I look at um, him and I was watching sort of just some of the stuff they have on MU-TV, almost sort of little documentary sort of thing. And um, I think he had an interview with Marcus Rashford on it. Oh, they showed snippets of an interview with, he did with Marcus Rashford. And obviously different times, different eras, different players, etc. However, the way they burst onto the scene at a young age in terms of oh, obviously different positions. But oh, Rashford sometimes takes up that position on the left. But obviously plays the left side of midfield very, very differently to Ryan Giggs. But um, that style of player, sort of that quick player who gets um, fans excited, etc., it's a very similar path Marcus Rashford has taken to Ryan Giggs. And obviously, he's not going to go on and achieve what Ryan Giggs has done. However, in terms of ability on the pitch, he very well could have a career at United for sort of 10, 15 years. And look, he's not going to, again, not going to reach Ryan Giggs' level. But um, it's interesting when you look at the way they burst onto the scene and the attributes they have in terms of their um, playing style. Well, I don't want to compare the two, yeah. but it is quite similar to Ryan Giggs, I think, in the way you view Marcus Rashford.
1: Yeah, it's also going to be pretty tough to uh, play the most Premier League, play the most Premier League games of all time for yeah. uh, Rashford after missing <laughs> some time off. But uh, no, especially just the. I remember I saw the same interview. I think it was Sky Sports who did it uh, a couple of weeks ago, but just the um, um, just the sheer. You can tell, like, the love, but also the drive. And then, especially now, what Marcus is doing um, uh, around the community. I know you mentioned on a couple of podcasts ago, but he still, you you can tell he loves the community and wants United to to do well and not only just win trophies, but I guess, you know, the cliche thing do it the United way.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think that's part of it in terms of obviously we care about what happens on the pitch, and that's the be all and end all for us. But there is something, I mentioned we touched on this back when we did a podcast regarding Munich in terms of the anniversary. You almost, and the club, because they're so distant from everyone, even if you live in, even if you live next to the football ground, the club and players are still so disconnected from the fans. However, there is some type of thing inside you which you almost treat them like family, they feel like family. So when they do something well off the pitch, you almost feel a sense of pride, and Marcus Rashford definitely does that in terms of a lot of the off-field stuff he does, again, it's sort of nothing to do with me. However, I do feel proud and sort of, okay, that's someone who's connected to me doing something. Because what's he raised? Like Something like 20 million pound or something for um, yeah, some still, of the communities? Yeah, and
1: still counting. It just, and it's kind of one of those things too. Like It's topics I know like you wouldn't even think about homelessness, like how it affects Manchester. But obviously, it's a, it seems to really hit the locals and the local community pretty hard there. And he's doing his best to help. And it's just nice, especially for a, a kid as young as he is, as well, to kind of take almost take on that mantle. Where we've had plenty of other recent um academy and star players who either don't know or just don't don't have that drive, and that also just kind of, you know, hits the hits our heartstrings with the with the fans as well.
0: Hmm. Yeah, not one hundred percent, and big respect to Marcus Rashford and the people around him for doing all the work they are doing. Now, we'll get back into football in a little bit, but um, we'll s- s- talk about... We had a few guys on a couple of weeks ago from... Um, um, they are living in Sydney at the time. Um, and actually, I think they're still here because of the whole lockdown and travel restrictions, etc. But a couple of guys from India and one of the supporters clubs in India. And um, it was interesting to get their take on supporting... Because obviously, you're not a massive fan base in India for United... Um, and sort of growing up in India, supporting, you know, the challenges, because obviously they face big challenges in India, um, supporting United. So we're going to do that, um, the same for the USA, because I don't know if you've got any numbers off the top of your head, but USA obviously have a massive fan base and that's sort of evident in sort of the regularity United travel there for pre-season or well, speaking of pre-season. Yeah, note- yeah,
1: it's definitely huge. Um, I know the time difference here. is we're only five hours behind. So, which is actually super nice when it comes to finals, because finals are usually played at two or 3 PM um, on a Saturday. So we can usually um, enjoy that pretty well. <laughs> and then after, depending on how the results are, but um, yeah, it's um, as far as like the supporting group culture, it's a lot more driven kind of by social media and Facebook. Um, the official, like there's one, there's only one official um, recognized from the, um, from Manchester United and that's one United uh, USA and then they um they manage themselves and have different branches and a lot of it kind of goes on more soccer heavy or also population uh places and unfortunately I just haven't lived in um the biggest place I lived is Indianapolis and we didn't have a recognized branch there but we did have a couple of um a couple of like just friends that I met through um just meet up groups on Facebook and that Hmm. so that's always been fun and then So it's kind of a little more scattered. There's not like the I love United things. I know they put on a lot are usually hosted in the bigger cities, such as like Dallas and New York, which I would have to fly to or like us here in the Midwest. Um, The closest city we could have would be maybe Chicago or Kansas City. So or like the two other major ones. And then it's New York, L.A., and then a few in Texas and that.
0: Well, you just mentioned there, and obviously us here in Sydney, Larry and myself are part of the supporters club here in New South Wales, Sydney, New South Wales, and that is um, an official um, supporters club linked with the club, I've been official for 25 years now. And um, it's interesting you bring it up because I always see that one um, one USA, the supporters club um, in America, you always see them on Facebook and Twitter, etc. cetera, massive branch. But that's news to me in terms of, they're the official link with Un- with United, and all the um, specific branches, the local branches, aren't actually officially recognized with United. It's they're just with the, the American um, supporters club, if I heard that correctly.
1: Yeah, from what I, at least that's what I understand. And then like since we didn't have a local branch, I didn't look too hard. But like if you go to United's website and you go to supporter, you know, supporters clubs, um, it basically just brings you to one United, and then they have their own website. And then everything I know is that they're just good people. Just for me, I just haven't lived in the big enough cities that reach out or anything like that.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's – well, even in Sydney, I remember one of the big challenges we face, and obviously kickoff times are a huge issue, especially in Sydney. Like a lot of our Premier League games, uh, 2 in the morning, and United often get moved to a Sunday kickoff in England, which means that's a Monday morning for us here in Australia. So um, kickoff times, don't play a part, but I just want your opinion. And Obviously, you, you just mentioned you didn't sort of live in the big cities, etc. But if you were to go and watch a match at a pub with um, mates, what's it like? Um,
1: it's to... pretty good. Um, I know in, uh, like in Indianapolis, we had, we had a, probably a solid group of 30 to 40. The ironic thing about that one, though, so there's only about two or three soccer um, soccer pubs that are dedicated that will have every single game and every single branch. And what's ironic though is that the United and the Liverpool uh branches went to the same pub. So which I don't think you'll hear many of that happening um elsewhere.
0: Yeah, that's um or well, it, it look it didn't happen in Sydney, but um yeah the two pubs were quite close to each other and the the Liverpool pub here in Sydney is quite a it's look it's right in the middle of the city and quite a um popular sports bar. So I think a lot of other like Celtic use it, Everton use it, Manchester City use it. I think a lot of the foreign clubs like Barcelona and um, some of the Argenti- Argentinian clubs who have big populations here, they all use it, um, and Newcastle use it, um, all of them seem to use it except United, we're the only ones not welcome, and we're gladly not welcome, but um, yeah, it is weird sometimes, um, you obviously do run into each other at sort of three in the morning when you're walking back to the train station, but um, yeah, interesting that, um, I'll look into that because I've got a few contacts in America in regards to the supporters clubs. Um, So what, okay, you're not part of an official supporters club and obviously a lot, maybe just sort of where you're located. But um, through communication with other, like you said, you met people on Facebook, etc. What is, um, in terms of One United and the USA supporters club, their sort of connection with the club in terms of... If you wanted to go to a game at Old Trafford, are you going through them in terms of organizing tickets or anything, or are you simply doing it off your own back?
1: So I've been to one match, and I've gone off my own back, um, but I do know that one um, United they do have a lot of um, options of that. Uh, it's just um, I, yeah, just time wise on that. When I've been able to go, I just haven't reached out to them as much. And then I am a member of uh, you, you know the, the United. Uh, just the club I get the you know the little merchandise pack and um the supporters you know supporter id every year so I still do that every year so still connected in some way so I um yeah we'll talk about it when I went to Old Trafford um here in a little bit as far as why I couldn't be in the Stratford Inn so
0: what's the um for you in terms of and obviously again not being sort of officially with a supporters club but through your sort of memory or through your knowledge of um, people who are, or sort of states and cities that are, would they organise, and obviously that it's some, depend where you are in America, it's probably not too bad of a flight to England and to Manchester. Would they organise, sort of organise trips in terms of, okay, 10 people want to go over this game, we'll fly 10 people over, or do you think it's very much an individual thing? Because I know in like, no. Scandinavia, they, they, in Norway, they'll, they'll fly 100 people over, sort of thing, every weekend.
1: Yeah, I don't know what it's like on every weekend, but I do know because uh, a couple of years ago, I was I was just on the newsletter for One United, and then they um, they were advertising at least one trip, one or two trips. Now, that's might have beefed up as the Premier League has exploded as far as viewership and, um, and just fanship over the last five to six years. Uh, so, I couldn't sp- sp- um, speak specifically on how they do that, but I do know that they do offer trips um, at least once or twice a year. Uh, I don't know if it'll be every weekend maybe now maybe people who live in New York might and the east coast might have a little bit easier of a deal trying to go than uh, midwest and like the California or the west side of the states yeah
0: yeah well it's something united I know before I was a part of the supporters club when I was a kid the supporters club in Sydney um, in New South Wales used to do that but obviously a 26-hour flight um, makes it a little bit tricky to do it on a regular basis, but it, it would be something that's uh, would be fantastic. As we had the Perth trip um, this pre season, which is like a four or five hour flight across Australia, and um, it was fantastic. Like just having sort of there's about fifty of us came, went over from Sydney to Perth for pre season, and um, it would be, be fantastic if you could do that, but actually go to Old Trafford. However, that's a very big project to organise, and something I'm not going to put my hand up to organise. But um, you just mentioned that in terms of trips to Old Trafford. Um, maybe we'll just go back to your, sort of your first trip, how it came about, why it came about, when, et cetera, and
1: just the whole story behind it. Yeah. Um, so I would have went in Jose Mourinho's first year. So that would have been the, 20, I guess, the 2016, 2017 season, if my memory serves right. Yeah. And then we were, um, my brother was at university, and then I was um, just working and living on my, um, just living in on my own in Indianapolis. And then we were like, well, we want to go. And then uh, we, neither one of us had ever been abroad before or abroad uh, to Europe. We had been to Mexico and Canada, but so we, um, we chose the game. We chose new year's Eve. Uh, we were playing Middlesbrough and up game tickets, probably, probably like around the, the fall, I think of that year. And then with being a official supporter, I was able um, to get, like I could choose kind of where tickets were open, and I was always thinking we'll do Stratford End, and then however my brother was not an official supporter, so he couldn't get it directly through United. So I guess is one of the, the unfortunate things of maybe if I was a member of supporters group, where mm-hmm. then we had to decide where we were going to sit. So we ended up doing the VIP package yeah. uh, that they sell um, all the time, mainly for international travelers and solo travelers. So we ended up sitting in the Sir Bobby stand um, right at the pretty much right almost at halfway, a little a little closer to the Stratford Inn. No oh, that's never sat in the main stand. Yeah, so it was it was two one. Um it was I know I'll always have a special heart for Pogba, which I know is I'm kind of in the same boat where I'm a little tired of the circus. But he got a he got our winner in the eighty fifth minute and then just we went out of the night for New Year's Eve just to celebrate and had a great time. Um So i always have a little special play for Pogba in that heart. And then, yeah, I got to meet Patty Crennan as well, um, which is great. So we did the – we had the option to do, like, the um, breakfast before and then go see the game or game and then go see uh, get dinner. And then we did um, the dinner, and we got to meet uh, a couple people from England, a couple people from Israel, and we're all at our table and just talked about the game and just being fans of United. And then Patty came and asked a few questions. And got to chat with him for a little bit and then yeah and then we were since that was our first time it was kind of a world one trip uh so it was me my brother and my mom we all went and then we did London for a few days then we went to Manchester for the match and then down to Paris and then we did Munich for a few days so didn't get to spend too much time in Manchester didn't get to check it out um a crazy amount but yeah so that was a lot of fun though and it was a great game
0: yeah, no, from memory of that game. Yeah, as you mentioned, Pogba got the win. I think we're one 0 down. Uh, it was t- you know, two late goals, wasn't it? Martial, I think, got the equaliser, mm-hmm. and um, Pogba. And again, look, a two one win at home to Middlesbrough is not something that um, sort of DVDs are made of. But um, I remember that game. That was a big, a big moment. And, um, a big goal by Pogba at the end. So any late win in front of the Stratford end is. Um, so they of gonna be celebrated hotly, and um, I still remember that one. I, I wouldn't say Pogba's sort of finest moment in the United shirt, but um, at the time, I think it probably was. So I remember that game um vividly. Um, yeah, and you
1: also always also get the celebration. I also see it on the Twitter, the uh, little samba I guess dance he does. Uh, oh, that Occasional was that pop was that? up on the meme, and that's where that that's where that uh, meme is from at that game. And it was actually he came to our sideline, um. So I do remember seeing it, but. The one thing, the funny thing I remember about that game is Latan's disallowed goal in the first half, where he went up and then he got a uh, he got his boot and his boot his boot was high was high for maybe most players, but it was Latan being six five, hey. um, you know, it was right around his waist. But the keeper was coming out. He got to the ball, didn't even touch the oh, keeper. yeah, yeah, true. We couldn't yeah. see it. I was on the far end, so but I remember going in. We thought we were up one 0 A few minutes, about probably ten minutes from halftime. And then just crazy. And then all of a sudden we see the you know the ref and the disallowed goal. And this is before V A R. So and that maybe VAR would have saved us there. But but the um but yeah, the call the call was um the call was a little frustrating. And then also Zlatan being probably my favorite player the entire season. Uh not seeing him score, which was surprising because he's on a tear. And then he got the assist with Martial. Um, after we went down, Martial, I think, scored in I think it was like they—they were pretty quick. It was—I think it was like 82nd or maybe in the late 70s, and then Paba in the 85th because 85th going in the 86th minute. I do remember that, and then just being like, because once we got the equalizer, I was like, man, I'll just take a draw. I just don't want to see us lose. And, yeah, uh, uh, I think that's important for any
0: anyone going over in terms of their first game. And look, you can never pick it. Uh, people sort of expect when they buy a ticket, they expect to get what they want. Football's football. Sometimes you don't win football games, but um. For anyone's first game, it's very important you get a win um, because you obviously spent a lot of money, a lot of investment to go over there. Um, it's obviously important United win, so I'm glad for you. That. I, I hate to hear stories where people sort of travel across the world for their first game and obviously things don't go to plan and they lose. Sometimes that's um, pretty sad to hear sometimes. I remember one guy, remember a couple of years ago there was that bomb scare at Old Trafford. And um, oh, yeah. I remember one guy Maybe traveled, he, he spent like a year's wages going over f- somewhere in South Africa or something. And the game was called off and yeah, he's in tears and he's, they sorted of tickets out and rearranged his fights. A few people got involved to help out, which was good. But I remember seeing news of that come through. and I was in, Oh, you just felt absolutely gutted
1: for him. Yeah, no, that was, I do remember seeing that. And then, um, especially since it was late, so late in the season, there's no way where like, you know, we, we, I know it's rare to get rained out, but that's something that could happen. We were like, well, if it gets rained out, we can um, we can try to come back. And a couple of days later, we'll just go later to Paris with our backup plan. We'll just get tickets and make it happen some way or another.
0: Yeah, well, the, so. actually, the last game I've been to, it's, got, it's years ago now, um, was Ferguson's last season. And we'll play in Liverpool at home. And it was in the middle of winter. It was early January. And there was a lot of snow around England at the time. And the, the match was never sort of in real doubt of being called off. But um, I think maybe one game, maybe the week before, was called off due to snow, sort of thing. And um, there was just always the fear in the back of my head, like this is going to be my first United v Liverpool match. And um, there was a big fear thing: Oh my God, if this gets called off, and I was I was <laughs> def- I was flying back to Australia like the day after or two days after, so I could I wouldn't be able to make sort of a, a rearranged fixture. Um, I definitely was shitting it that week. But um, thank God, um, the gods smiled on my side and I was able to watch it. But um, I think you also mentioned you've done obviously done the tour of Old Trafford.
1: Yeah, I done the we did the tour twice. So I did the tour like we we stayed at Hotel Football um during our match during our match trip, and then a couple of years later, I went with my uncle and his family, and uh, we had a it was our first time at abroad uh, as well. So we ended up having a golf trip. So we were there during the summer, and so we just was actually from London on our way up to St Andrews, and we uh, we stopped at Manchester. Uh, for a couple hours did the tour um got got a kid and some scarves and yeah just overall happy It was kind of nice uh it was, it was one of those things where i know you're you've probably been been to manchester a lot more i would have liked to actually explore the city um but it's it's one of those things where you know united draws me in and since i don't get to go over to europe every year um it's kind of more of like well i still want to try to fit as much as i can so in mm-hmm. that aspect we probably fit Maybe sometimes too many cities, but
0: yeah. Well, I think Manchester yeah, often gets it
1: a it was super nice,
0: yeah. Well, Manchester often gets a sort of, I think, a bad rap sometimes in terms of a lot of people sort of throw sort of shade at the weather in terms of that being the overriding factor. However, if anyone going into Manchester, it is a nice city, a very historical city, sort of really nice architecture. I think it's well, one of my favorite cities in the world. Now, obviously, the weather. Sort of does play a part, and that is obviously important to a lot of people. But, um, in terms of the visual aspect of the city, I, I love Manchester, I think it's um, a great city. But, um, we'll move on a little bit too often or to what is a always relevant discussion, and one we have talked about in recent podcasts, and I'm sure we will, um, in future podcasts. Now, probably good to have an American on for this one. We're going to talk about a few famous Americans in regards to United and the, um, the glazers uh, we're going to talk about a few things because obviously you would have a very different or very different um insight and sort of opinion on the way they've done things the way they will do things and etc so um i think maybe we'll start off with um sort of the it's tampa bay buccaneers they own right that's correct yes yeah, yeah so they've owned um, their nfl franchise so just um just your opinion on terms of do you remember when you sort of heard that they were the owners of United? Because obviously they bought in 2005. That was before your time. Just wondering when you sort of start supporting United and you found out the Glazers were in charge, if you knew about them then or et cetera.
1: Yeah, it was kind of one of those things. I remember one of my good friends from California, who um, one of my fraternity brothers, who also was a United fan and kind of helped form that while I was you know, starting to get into soccer in college. And he, um, he kind of asked me what my thoughts on the Glazers were and he kind of broke it down a little bit. And I was like, well, this is under Sir Alex, you know, we're still winning. We're still competing at a high level. You know, they, they got money. And, and one interesting thing with them and as, as far as like they have the, they have a very unite or a very American uh, professional sports view of how to run a sports organization. Uh, they definitely don't have, as I would say, the club or the you know, organic club building that you have a lot in the UK especially and and then Europe abroad where where is definitely something that is troubling to hear but there is a lot of there's a lot of similarities on how the NFL operates and how the glazers have ran the Tampa Bay buccaneers since their ownership in 95 is when they were bought um by Malcolm by the by the dad and then now it's succeeded by the uh, by the glazer family.
0: Well what's um in terms of obviously, you know, and everyone knows sort of United's opinion or United fans' view on the Glazers, etc. Um, what's the relationship like within the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans in terms of how's their relationship sort of changed with the Glazers over time? Because obviously you said nineteen ninety five, so it's even longer. Um has it sort of been up and down or has it always been a consistent feeling towards them?
1: It's only it's probably I know it's gotten worse. Um as far as what I can tell, I've I never lived in Florida and never I don't have any friends out Tampa Bay. It's kind of what you can just find online. What, one thing that is very inter- or unique to um, the NFL and just all American sports is that there's no relegation or promotion. So it's all like the 32 teams are the 32 teams and they're going to have their franchise. And then the only way an owner can lose his franchise is if they decide to sell or they decide they get – out uh, they get voted out by the other owners. And we've only seen I've only seen that happen once in my lifetime, and that was in the NBA with the LA Clippers a few years ago with their owner, Don Sterling, being voted out.
0: Mm. Well what and, um success have Tampa Bay had over the years in that last what are 20, twenty, thirty years sort of thing? Have they been? I know nothing about NFL. Um have they been successful or have they had any sort of high points, low points? So they've had They've had
1: one high point. They won a Super Bowl. I want to uh I want to say it was 2002. And so they won one Super Bowl. They haven't they've been to the playoffs I think once in the last 10 years and it hasn't been like they haven't been near competitive at all and um they which ironically actually in the 70s when the Tampa Bay was first founded they were one of the first expansion teams. They actually went They went winless for three years straight. I think it was 0 and 20. I think it was like 0 and 28 or maybe 0 and 30 something. Which, for an NFL at that time, I think only had 14 games or 12 games a season. So, um, so and that view they're doing better. But a lot of it is on how the NFL is run. A lot of the money sharing and the profit sharing is split on a national level. So like most of the only one team. Is publicly traded and the nfl is a private entity since 2015 so they uh, in america they're they don't have to share all the private entities don't have to share any financial status hmm. but what we can tell from the team that is publicly traded we do know that they have made about 40 to 45 percent of their income just on revenue uh on tickets on local ticket sales and like jersey sales and that and then the other 50 percent, or over a little over 50 percent, comes from national revenues that's tv the nfl tv sponsorship as well as NFL major sponsor brands that like our um, alcohol companies and a couple of other that. So where that ropes into the Glazers though, is that there's a lot because they're making more than half of their revenue. And then they can kind of keep costs down for player salary. There's not a lot of incentive to be great and win super bowls because there are bonuses, but those bonuses are usually determined by the winning team. And then the NFL does give a bonus, but it's pretty minuscule compared to the overall guaranteed revenue you can expect.
0: Well, you, ju- you just mentioned earlier in terms of maybe their last Super Bowl was the early 2000s, and they haven't made the playoffs for a while, maybe the best part of a decade. just wondering, maybe not, you've just said you, you sort of don't have any f- uh, family or friends who are Buccaneers fans or anyone from Florida, but is there a sort of general, I'd say more than from the media's perception or media side of things, that there's an acceptance that there isn't an ambition to go and win things. Like it's sort of just socially accepted that okay they are what they are. Almost I don't want to draw a comparison to a Premier League club, but let's say, uh I don't know let's say a Southampton who they are just what they are. They're not gonna never gonna make that next step to the European team. They're just happy where they are, etc. They'll sell where they need to to keep the money coming in, but they're they're never gonna make that next step um, with their current owners. Is there that sort of opinion with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers?
1: A little bit, but also the NFL and all of sports in America are a little different where we have a draft system. So the idea, and um, if I, I'll break down as best as I can, but like, so we have our college, our college level sports, which like, so you have college football and then the draft is going on right now. So for example, like there's no academies or anything like Tampa Bay just can't like scout a top tier quarterback at the age of 11 and be like, I want him. He kind of has to fall to them or they have to sign him um what if they get if they progress but like where the colleges come in is they find the kids in high school and then they sign them or give them a scholarship they don't actually get paid which a whole other subject but they um and then they'll produce through the college and say like you know a top tier uh the guy who just won the national championship with lsu just got drafted number all number one overall um and the entire draft and there's seven rounds each team has a pick um, each round and then those picks are determined by where you finished last season with the best team so the team that wins the super bowl last year picks 32 and then the worst team with the worst record overall picks first and so and then it goes back like that for every single round so where a lot of times too where it's if you're not i don't want to say that i don't want to put it like where they're not competing because they like the players and the coaches still want to win are. Are going out there still trying to win and stated that they still want to win but if it's kind of, one of those psychological things like there's only 16 games and if you know you're not going to make the playoffs it's almost like well you know we're kind of our season's over we got a couple of games just to go out and then you know if we lose a game or two we'll have a higher draft pick so well, to pick well, this- a younger guy that can help us three or four years down the road
0: yeah, well, there's definitely that feeling, and again, I'm no expert in it, but the the AFL here in Australia, the Aussie Rules Football, have the they have a draft system as well, and there's been a lot of controversy, and again, I don't follow it too closely, so I might be speaking absolute nonsense, but from what I know, very similar feeling. The clubs, towards the um, bottom of the table, towards the end of the season, the term they use is tanking, and it's not so much nope, like match, it's not match-fixing, it's just sort of Sort of their um, ambition to go out and win those last couple of games in terms of maybe they field a couple of younger players, etc. I think, where they're not too disappointed if they do go on to lose the match because obviously it will provide them some benefit in terms of the next season's draft. I remember seeing, look, I don't think that could ever work, in my opinion, in the English Premier League, but there has, there has been an article or two sort of suggesting that or suggesting some type of introduction um, in regards to that, not so much sort of looking for sort of like Man United or Man City looking to sort of step on to go and win the Champions League, etc., but more as a sort of, I wouldn't say a tool, but almost like a measuring stick of clubs, academies, and development, sort of giving a couple of players a new pathway into Premier League football. Um, I don't think it'll work, but um, I'm sure we will here, especially because we don't know what the financial climate will look like in a couple of years' time um, after all this. So it is something that I think, I wouldn't say all sports become a more American Americanized, but um, I'm sure it is something we have to keep an eye on. And do you think it's something that could ever make its way into English in some aspect, not, not maybe a full on draft in terms of the way they have in America, but sort of aspects of the draft been introduced?
1: Well, I don't know about aspects of a draft, but I could see one of the nice things that the NFL has tried to set up is kind of the idea of parody. So, like, anybody can beat anybody, where a prime example is a few years back, the New England Patriots had won all 18 other games. So they were undefeated the entire season, and then they had two games in the playoffs. And then they went to the Super Bowl, which is pretty much the game that, like, matters. There's no real um, league title or anything. And then they were going against a team that I think – they went against the Giants. I think the Giants were either nine in um, – nine and seven or ten and six maybe in the playoffs or uh, sorry in the regular season and then the giants end up beating the patriots and then the giants go down as a super bowl winner and the patriots go home with nothing so i think that's kind of the interesting thing where like the idea of parity is really big in the nfl and that anybody can beat anybody but it doesn't really maintain greater success because like the patriots have had a lot longer success than the giants the Giants did win two Super Bowls in about five or six years, but they haven't really been back since. So it kind of goes in cycles. But you might not see as like the dominant, you know, the big six that we refer to in England all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, just before we move on from the Glazers, just um, obviously your experience sort of watching sort of them unfold with the Buccaneers, etc., and obviously the way things are unfolding with United. We've discussed in recent weeks sort of, well, we're going to be stuck with the Glazers. What's the best way forward? Just in regards, can you see, and obviously you mentioned earlier it was okay with the Glazers when we had Sir Alex Ferguson. He was sort of able to glue things together. Obviously, he's not there anymore. Do you see a type of bright future under the Glazers? Or do you think we're going to sort of continue to hit the same hurdles sort of every couple of seasons with that sort of lack of ambition?
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, like, I definitely have hope. Under, uh, under uh, Ollie, but then I also had help under Mourinho too. So and then LVG was kind of the weird one, but um, but it's kind of one of those things where they are definitely investing more money in the in United, but they're also forced to because the NFL, their Tampa Bay Buccaneers, there's a salary cap, yeah. so there's only amount, there's only X amount of money you can spend on players, and then they can spend as much as they want on coaches, but if you know, if they go out and spend a lot on a coach, it's going to ruin. It's kind of going to kind of be yeah. like, oh, well, you know, you, you better get it right. <laughs> so um, that aspect where like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're just going to kind of treat, I think, as almost an ATM because the NFL has been proven to make so much money for all of its owners. And then United, in that aspect, has been proven to make a lot of money in the Glazers. And one thing that definitely worries me with the Glazers or two. Or there's a lot of things, but the two key things I always think of is the financial debt they have over United, and then also the fact that they're paying dividends for a lot of people when all the other top teams aren't. And the other top teams, such as City and Liverpool, are winning championships, and the Glazers mm-hmm. are paying dividends and just kind of hoping the hoping to get fourth. So I, yeah. I think there'll definitely come times when it's in cycles. Um, as far as a consistent powerhouse... If we can spend the money right, I think so. But like the until we get out of debt, I really don't unfortunately I really don't know if we'll have the consistent the consistent um just consistent dominance until we get a transcendent manager.
0: Yeah, no, I would have to say I agree with that. <laughs> now obviously the Glazes is a very important issue, but we will touch on another extremely important issue in regards to America's relationship with United. And the Chevrolet logo on the front of our kits. Now, obviously, being American and Chevrolet being such a sort of, you'd almost it's an icon, iconic American brand. Um, the kit deal is coming to an end. The kit leaks have come out for the last um, Chevrolet kit um, for next season. Um, we'll just kind of to touch on it a little bit because it caused a lot of controversy when they when they come in. It would have been
1: Van Hal's first season, I think, after that yeah. noise um yeah it's true. been a couple of years because um, aon which also are yeah aon and then yeah. before that AIG, um, yeah. same same company but they were they're american as well but yeah the chevy the chevy kit like chevy is very recognized and it's a i mean as far as i know it's a great brand um i i drive a dodge but um but yeah the uh the biggest thing i just don't like is the is the just the pure yellow and just it's just so like it just reminds me of like you know, just like a commercial almost. Mm-hmm. Like a prime example is I went home and I was uh to see some extended family a couple of years back and then I just was wearing a United kit and then one of my uncles goes, um So what are you? Why did you get a job with Chevy now? I was like, yeah. Oh no, it's a United <laughs> kit but then, you know, that's he doesn't follow soccer by any means, so that's his Yeah, that was his um his introduction, I guess.
0: <laughs> well is there a um I don't know way to word it, um in terms of Look, their time is coming to an end now, and I think look, every sponsorship will come to an end. They'll sort of naturally reach sort of on organic agreement, saying okay, it's time to move on for both parties. But um, obviously, being on the front of United shirt is a big goal for sort of any company. In terms of Chevrolet moving on, is there any word from on the American side of things? If you've heard, or just an opinion in terms of they've been happy with their time with United or they're the ones who want to sort of move on or united sort of want to move on etc is there any sort of insight or
1: opinion or views on Chevrolet's point of view as far as i know i think they're happy but the, as from like an american like advertisements and like when it comes to them advertising on um nbc sports they ha- they do have like a like a high they had a highlight reel uh, a couple of, like for a while now um but it doesn't really, it's just, you know, what we'll do is, uh, I'm sure every country, but like, you know, brought to you by Chevy. Um, and then here's the highlights. So I think they might be looking more on the national and associated with NBC than maybe United just in general. I mean, I think as far as I know, I'd assume they're happy. I mean, they got out there, they made a good amount of money, but like they didn't do, uh, good examples, they didn't do like a special, like, you know, United, United truck launch or anything like that. Yeah. Kind of like how, what we have with, some of the whiskey with Chivas and the and the whiskey like yeah. there's no you know special United uh, United brand truck that you can go buy from Chevy. Yeah,
0: it's a weird one. I Remember, they used to maybe a year, a couple of years ago, they used to any player um, going from sort of the airport for to the training ground for a medical was always done in a in a Chevy sort of thing. But now, even though we're still sponsored by Chevrolet they seem to go in any car, but I remember there was a big thing, any any sort of player was driving into the training ground was always pictured in a Chevy, but that um, I thought was going to be a consistent thing, but sort of seemed to die down, etc. over the years. I'm not sure if that was sort of a contractual agreement or dispute or whatever, but um, that was weird to watch unfold. Now, just on that, it being the last couple of, um, or the last three kits have just been really, or not released, but we sort of know what they're going to look like. Um yeah. I'd be stupid uh, to ask your thoughts on the third kit, the zebra one. Yeah, the
1: red uh the red and yellow, it's the I guess the bus the bus one is kind of yeah. almost being referred to. Um that one's uh that one's different. I'm hoping it's not near as bright um on the actual on the actual uh pitch and everything. Uh ironically actually my least favorite is the uh, away kit, because at least in the photos I've seen, it looks more like a forest green than the gray. Hmm um and i just i i think it's weird for united to wear like a forest green like the only green i think United should i should be wearing is a uh outside of the green and yellow but i don't think the glaciers will ever allow that yeah um but like yeah for a full for a full green with none of the classic green and yellow uh should just only be worn by the goalkeeper
0: yeah no um well the main thing i oh n- not issue but the zebra kit in the third one is Oh, we're just talking about Chevrolet. It's so hard to see. Not, maybe not so much the logo of the actual emblem, but the text. And obviously, that's not the important part of their logo. But I can't read the text, and I have really good eyes. And I'm just thinking, I can't see that that says Chevrolet. And obviously, the yellow is more important. But um, I'm shocked that Chevrolet have signed off on that one. I, I'm completely shocked. But um, as I said, I'll probably be first in line at the shop to go and buy 20 or 30 of those. Because I'm sure in 20 years' time, they will be the, quite the collector's item so um stay
1: tuned yeah it's gonna remind it. me of the um i know you mentioned a couple of times but like the blue like you know kind of like that i have a patrice evra the black and the blue kind of chevron um deal yeah. which you don't see too many of those i remember wearing that out one time and people were like where'd you when'd you get that and that's not even that few years ago but or even some throwbacks to some of the 90s kits that uh canton wore like the uh the red with that famous skull where he pops the collar with the gray collar but yeah. uh I could see the. I I definitely agree. I could see the Z, uh, the zebra kit becoming a uh, very unique and a uh, very retro. Uh, well yeah, here in, a here in Australia,
0: a kit United. Um, sorry, not United. The Socceroos here in Australia. Well, I forget. It might have been late eighties or early nineties. Think it might have been early nineties. Um, just one of those. I remember Norwich used to have a similar kit. It was just a yellow kit with just it looked like someone just threw green paint on it or it splattered everywhere. Horrible kit. However, now thirty years later. It's iconic, and everyone's rushing to the sort of stores to try and buy retro kits of it. So I think the Zebra kit will be one as bad as it is now. It will be one in 20 years' time where it will be looked back on, assuming retro is still a thing that in sort of in the future. Um, it will be one we do look back on. But just before we move on from kits and wrap up the podcast, just in regards to Chevrolet, favourite kit over the years that they did? Because I think they put one or two decent kits out. So um, your favourite one?
1: Oh... Ooh, I got this, well, I got this a lot of time. I'm actually kind of looking at the kit collection over the last few years trying to think. Ironically, actually, I'm probably going to get a hard time for this, but I like the pink one, the pink clean one, just because I've never seen that before. I know I'm just joking that United should never wear green uh, outside of the green and yellow, but so just because I thought the pink one kind of hid the Chevrolet logo because if you look at it also compared to other kits throughout the um, throughout the Premier League, other different sponsors, is it just such a just having to put a big yellow stamp almost on the middle of your chest is mm. it's kind of hard to hide it
0: <laughs> well the one for me and again um it's one that look the chevrolet logo does stand out but um the white adidas one where we won the fa cup final, jesse lingard winner um just something about it, it was a very clean adidas kit in, th- in terms of the three red stripes on the shoulders That'll be, one. and obviously, that's a good memory. I think that's why it sticks out in my mind in terms of winning the FA Cup at Wembley. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting, and I'm sure a lot of people will be glad to see the logo move. But I think whenever there's a new logo, even if we have a good sponsor for the next one, it'll look weird, and uh, the, your initial reaction when you see it will be one of dislike. You think, oh no, that looks different. I'd rather go back to Chevrolet. But um, hopefully, the new one does grow on us. In a, I'm sure. I'm sure they'll have to make some type of announcement on who the next sponsor will be soon. Um, I think there has been one or two rumors, but I don't think anything concrete has been mentioned.
1: Um, yeah, I have no idea. There's not, at least as far on this side, there's not been really rumors. I mean, the the uh, trend has definitely looked like it might be another American company. So now who that is, we don't yeah. know. But with AIG and Aon and then into, um, into Chevrolet, uh, I would most likely guess it'll be another American company.
0: Yeah, no, I'd be surprised if I yeah, say that, I, would, I yeah, wouldn't be surprised, however you say that and then you think, geez, you could very well see sort of one of the Middle Eastern sort of companies getting involved or one of the Chinese, because um, some of the Premier League clubs already have um, sort of a foreign language on their on the front of their shirt, so you never know, but yeah, if I was to put money on it, I would say um, an American company would be top of the list. Now, just before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to discuss on the podcast? Because we're coming on the 50 minutes or so. I've enjoyed the chat, but anything else you want to sort of bring on top of your mind or anything?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, this has been great. I really appreciate it. I mean, I guess I know one thing is, at least from now we can mention, is I know United launching a women's team, uh, especially yeah. the fans over here, has gone on well with U.S. women's national team. I've actually seen ai went to a, um, uh went to a one of the women's, the U.S. women's national team had a victory tour uh, nearby up in Chicago again. And we went and actually saw a couple of uh, more United kits, like just than what you would expect. Now, obviously, you know, women's national team was everywhere. But like before, when you've been to some of those games, uh, you you would see still some other Premier League teams. And then I definitely saw some United kits. So I think that also might help with a little bit of the brand just because, you know, when they can start signing maybe some of the national team, and some of the other players that uh, women will be playing against from England and from France and some of the other upcoming European teams that will be coming for the USA's crown uh, will be will be encouraging as well. And I think that will be a kind of a unique sign since since our since our national women's team has been so much more dominant. And I think actually we beat our men's team um, hmm. about seven to nothing. I don't trust our men's team at all. <laughs> well,
0: I think I think, and obviously the American women's team is obviously sort of the best in the world, very successful over the years. Um, Australians. Um, the Matildas, the Australian women's team, have improved drastically over the last sort of 10, 10 years um, and now it's sort of one of the best teams in the world as well, obviously a little bit behind um, the USA. However, I think in terms of individual personnel and their, I wouldn't say connection with United, but potential connection with United, they're in a very similar boat because I think two of our our best player for the Australian team has just moved to Chelsea. And, yep, um, Sam Kerr. Yeah, Sam Kerr. to see
1: the yeah, sorry, I had to see her play in Chicago. So, because she played for oh, Chicago's, oh yeah, um, yeah, 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 she and had to play for Chicago's US uh, USWL
0: team. And, and then, I think uh, one of yeah, our other strikers, I think Caitlin Ford, one of our other strikers, she's moved to Arsenal, I think, from memory. And um, I'm just thinking, for Australia's point of view, um, from a selfish point of view, if one of them could make that move to United, um, obviously United aren't the best team at the moment in terms of this where they've had to start from. But obviously they're in the top division now. I'm just thinking if one could get that move to United, it would just it would, be, it would be massive for the game in this country, because we've obviously only had... Mark Bosnich has been the only Australian to play for United in the men's team, but I'm thinking the women's game has overtaken... Not overtaken the men's game in Australia, but very similar to in America from what I know is there's a lot more support and a lot more backing in terms of public perception of the women's team compared to the men's team. The men's team in both our countries have a lot of issues, a lot of problems, but... It continues to grow for the women's game, so I'm just thinking if one of our players in the women's team from Australia could make that move to United. Um, obviously, for United, it is what it is. But from a um, national point of view for ourselves, for either um, us in Australia or yourself in America, um, it would be massive um, to see that. Because who's the last yeah, American? Who's the last American to play for United? It'd be uh, Tim Howard, yeah, for Tim so, Howard, the
1: goalkeeper. In a... So it's kind of interesting, though we won't see many of the U.S. women's national team moving up abroad. Uh, I think it'll build up the other teams, because our current league, our current yeah. women's yeah. professional league, has a contract with uh, U.S. Soccer where all the uh, players for the national team okay, have yeah. to play for a club in America, which is great and makes sense. But unfortunately, like I think even like Alex Morgan, our star striker, when she played for Lyon, and when in Champions League over there, um, she has said she was more tested than when. She was playing in the um, in the WSL. Do you think a player um, like that?
0: Do you think a player like that, like a player with a big name like that, when maybe he, you almost see the opposite, where a player in Europe comes to the end of their career, they go over to the MLS? Could you see a player like that when their national career is maybe over, make the move over to England for a year or two?
1: Oh yeah, I'm. Ex- if Carly Lloyd, I could see Carly Lloyd definitely going over. The money, like Leona, I know sometimes the money. Um, in Europe is a little stronger uh, than the WSL uh, where they our women's team makes most, most of their money from playing for the women for the national team and then sponsorship deals. But like Carly Lloyd, this was looking like it might be her last Olympics. Now with that being pushed back to 2021, it'll be a little interesting to see, but I can definitely see Carly Lloyd going over and playing, playing for a few years. Um, now, who knows um, what team, what team she'll play for or what country? Cause I think it might just go down to what country she wants to live in.
0: yeah well i think that is a good little because i have made contact with one or two people and this isn't on the horizon but hopefully um maybe in the next couple of months we will have a player from the united women's team on the podcast we'll just have a one or two contacts at the moment but um i think that would be good to have on because obviously we're not getting um a current player in the for the men's team on the podcast so um but I think there is a chance we might be able to have a discussion and a chat with one of the players. I'm not sure who at the moment, but um, I think that would be a good podcast, um, having what we can call as a current United player um, on the podcast. So stay tuned for that. But I think that is a good spot to finish the podcast on. Um, first of all, thank you for coming on, mate. Um, pleasure to have a chat to you. It's coming on to about an hour now. But as I said, in terms of anyone else who wants to come on and have a podcast like this, whether it be you talk about sort of your story where you're from etc or you want to talk about your favorite game or favorite player um, get in touch because as I said me and Larry are now working from home we have nothing better to do so um, having an hour to chat about United is good for us it's good for our health Um, hopefully people enjoy listening to it Um, Baylor thanks again man yeah really enjoyed
1: it Uh, yeah just appreciate all the stuff you guys do and look forward to hearing from all the podcasts coming forward
0: no pleasure, and uh, yeah, we'll have you on again, especially hopefully when football returns. We can discuss a little bit of football after a match or before a match or something. Um, we'll definitely do that.
1: I'll up at Real Madrid for five hundred mil, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> or,
0: no, I'm sure you can come into one of the next thirty Paul Pogba episodes. Um, we won't be <laughs> short of content on there. But um, again, thank you everyone for listening. Um, please like and share all our stuff on Twitter, Facebook, etc., and give the podcast a like and we will chat to you sometime next week so thanks for that and cheers there